From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains. Tonight we have a very special episode. We managed to catch up with the writer and director of the movie Occupation, Luke Spark. I'm sorry, and this is Mark. Hiya. We watched and reviewed uh, Occupation a couple of weeks ago, and that was a film that was released in 2018. It's on Netflix globally, as I understand it. It's written and directed by Luke Spark. And we have additional dialogue by uh, Felix Williamson. It's a film about a small group of residents in an Australian town that um, confront an alien invasion and, I suppose, bring us home to victory at the end of it. It was great. Yeah, so we've got Luke uh, on tonight's episode, Luke's, Mr. Luke Spark. He's a writer, he's a director, he's a producer, TV and feature films. He's written and directed three feature films, as far as IMDb tells us. Uh, Red Billabong, Occupation, and then we've got the exciting release of Occupation Rainfall, which is due out October 2020. Luke has uh, got an extensive history of working in costume and wardrobe department of many large-scale TV and film productions before moving into his own film product, uh, projects. But of course, Luke's here. Hiya, Luke. How you doing? Not bad. Okay, good, good. Um, and so we did look at Occupation uh, a few weeks ago and it's a Space Rains episode where we really enjoyed it. What did you like about it, sorry? A couple of things I really liked about it was the epic size and scope. It was uh, a military rebellion fantasy, which certainly as a teenager I had plenty of my own. It made me remember movies like Red Dawn. I, I don't know if that's coming up. Well, I'm going to ask you about that. And also even like zombie movies where, where people, uh, you know, Dawn of the Dead, they, they were like in a, a shopping center and they're sort of fighting back against this overwhelming force. It's got a, it's great sort of ambition and action and great cast of characters that really sort of, yeah, tell the story of, I suppose, relatively ordinary people having to stand up to a, a science fiction threat. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I liked that grand scale, especially we don't see that a lot in the in Australian film. So that was something that I specifically really liked was just that massive grand scale. I think the action scenes were fantastic or exciting, the really good special effects. Um, you know, I enjoyed all that part. Uh, as a writer myself, I really appreciated the structure of the beats. So I felt that we had our inciting incident. I felt that the pace went through things like the debate and moving into the second act and that midpoint. Um, so, I, you know, as someone that appreciates those beats, I really enjoyed that. Um, I also really liked, like with the science fiction, how the aliens invaded and it was really quick. You know, sometimes we find these alien invasion films, you know, it takes a long time for the aliens to finally show up. You know, maybe the spaceships are there and they blow up cities and stuff, but I really liked, like, you know, when they came out of the cornfield, that was something that, you know, it was a few... The cane fields. Uh, uh, <laughs> something that, yeah, I keep saying cornfields because we're so used to that American image, yeah. I think, of cornfields. You say cane. Queensland makes a lot of sense of the cane fields. But 
yeah, I felt that that pace of the aliens coming was really cool. And the costumes. I thought, you know, when we finally did see those aliens, it was a really cool version. That, like that it, was some of the best yeah. you know, sort of alien costumes you're going to see around for a while. I think so, definitely. And then my final really good thing was... Okay, yeah, yeah no, we're yeah, excited I, about I've that. I've seen the teaser trailer on YouTube. It looks Aliens 2.0 and, 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 oh. and 3.0. And <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's exciting. So, yeah, well, I enjoyed them in the first one. So if you're saying they're even better, that's, that's something to look forward to. And then I think that final thing, to me, the film is hope. And this is something that we always question as well, is like what kind of film do we think this is? And I think that idea to me that there's hope that you know, as the film progresses, we get those glimpses that the aliens are kind of like us, you know, they're invading, but, you know, you have the, that scene where the aliens um, helped each other, you know, and there was a, there was one that held one in, in their arms oh, and there was a, child uh, alien, I, yeah. I think it was a child, not, you know, that was the interpretation. There was another one like hobbling um, and, you know, the character watches that unfold. And then at the end, the fact that instead of let's, just kill these aliens. No, why don't we try to work together? And they do. They those aliens agree to that. To me, there was a real hope in that, and I, I enjoyed that. And again, that was a real point of difference from other alien invasion stories. So, Battle Los Angeles, yeah, for example, yeah. which was all about killing the aliens and not wondering why it is they turned up in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So that were the things I liked. So. But because we're so uh, fortunate tonight to have Luke here, what were your kind of intentions as a filmmaker, writer of this film? What, what was the point of making Occupation in your mind? Obviously, as filmmakers, you sort of get not recluse, but you're in your own little filmmaking world. Critics come out, you read the articles, you get to meet some people. I do when I go to like Supernovas and Comic-Cons. Um, and that, but it's refreshing to hear your take because it's pretty much bang on. And it's it's you can go into a film and pick it apart. You can pick any film apart if 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 you yeah. if you don't like it, you know. If you even if you do like it, you know. I have friends that are so you get so deep into you know breaking films down that and you end up just breaking down every film to just what's the point, you know? Because they're just you know they're just movies are cool. Um, I, I you know I really enjoy movies, obviously, but it's refreshing to hear a take like that, which is pretty much bang on. Everything you just said is what I was intending. So thank you very much for understanding um, the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, all those points you've made, the epic scope um, is what I was going for, obviously, on a limited budget uh, compared to you know, Hollywood films. I always used to say that our budget was probably the same budget that the Avengers had for their catering um, <laughs> yeah, for, the, for, the, for the whole film. So, yeah, I mean, hope is definitely... I'm trying to pick what you've just said because you've dumped a lot of info yeah. that's all that's all right. So I'm trying to go through and pick out the points. Obviously, hope is a point of the film. I think I'm a pretty hopeful person. Like, um, I'll touch on the films that inspired me down, you know, later on in, in the podcast and that, but I'm a bit of an optimistic person. So, I, you know, my, my screenplays usually lend to that, um, that, that end of that spectrum, which is cool. Uh, the other point, you know, the point of difference of the aliens being like us yeah you had to get you, know, you have to come up with something new there's no point just doing the same thing and um i've read some reviews that didn't like that and some audiences that, that didn't but i did um i thought it was more interesting than just being like you know star wars episode one or something where you destroy the control ship and suddenly everyone's like powers down and yeah we won we won the day um because <laughs> you know real life doesn't work like that and yeah. You know, being a history buff, coming up through the, the costume history side of military things, you know, I always look back on real life events. So the First World War, 
you know, doing you know, Germans and British coming out and playing soccer every Christmas or, you know, at the end of the, at the war having to have a ceasefire because it's not just destroying everything, you know, there has to be life afterwards. So I sort of try to apply something like that to the end of the film um, and have a point of difference. So, yeah, it's, it's all about having a point of difference. <laughs> something I thought was quite interesting also coming from an Australian perspective is this colonial concept. And, and I believe one of the characters points out that when Christopher Columbus and, and Captain Cook, I nearly call him Captain Hook, but that would have been wrong, you know, and, and, and Australia got discovered, uh, there was, in each case, there's people being displaced by newcomers. And the, in, in here, coming from Australia, we're sort of a little bit, I suppose, or should be a bit more sensitive to the fact that as white people, our ancestors or some of our ancestors turned up here uninvited and started doing whatever it is they do. And I, I'm wondering how much of a role did, did that sort of Australian view take on, on the way you did this occupation? Obviously, again, being a history buff, obviously massively aware of it, but I'm not one to politicise my movies. You know, I, I don't really want to make a huge statement. I did put that that you know that little part, that little conversation in there, but I just like dropping little things and letting people like yourselves or even you know, people after the movie coming out and having a discussion about it. If someone takes that away, great. If someone doesn't, that's cool too. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather people walk out and have something to talk about. I think the worst thing a movie can do is when you're sitting there watching the lights go up and you turn to your friend and you go, what's for dinner? Like, you have, to have, you have to have something to talk about afterwards. Even if you hate it and someone likes it, at least there's a discussion to be had. So I try to drop little nuggets here and there. That, like, that, that's an interesting concept. Maybe you guys can talk about that rather than really getting into, like, a political statement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got that sense, too. I, th I think I actually mentioned that during yeah, our original you thing, did. that it was mentioned, it was, it was made aware. So it was like it wasn't uh, this sort of uh, ironic blindness to the situation, but at the same time, there was no need to go into, oh, well, aren't we then the bad guys as well? And, you know, yeah, it wasn't a lecture. Because that wasn't was the just, point of the film, yeah. I think. No. But so where did the base idea come from? Because as I understand it, the production and creation of the film was quite rapid. But the idea, it was that something that came quickly or did you? Really, you know, love sci-fi. And um, as a kid walking out of the films like Independence Day, you know, I was the right age group to go see it when I was like an early teenager. Uh, you know, walking through the shopping center, you know, going, oh, wow, I wonder what would happen if they attacked Australia. Um, it's, always, it's always been in my mind of wanting to make a movie like Red Dawn or, you know, something like that. And, uh, yeah, you're right. It happened pretty quickly. Um, when I was in, I went to LA after Red Billabong, I was actually pitching another project. They didn't really like that pitch. And they said, what else do you have? I came up with it on the spot just because of the years of thinking about it just sort of blurbed out. And then I hopped in the elevator and my producer with me was like, what's this movie? What's happening now? Um, and I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And like, I wrote it on the plane ride home, the first draft. Um, and then, yeah, it was supposed to just be like, sort of, let's do a cheap film in the bush with some aliens. That would be cool, right? Um, and it ended up being a lot bigger than that, even though it's not huge, but it ended up being a lot bigger than my first draft. Suddenly Tim, Tim Ray Morrison's on board and suddenly all these actors are falling in and I was like, oh, shit, I better... You know, scratch this script up to get the script up to scratch and uh, really make something of this because I got the opportunity here to, to do something. So um, it's always nice when that when that happens. So like you were pointing out, the structure of the film. I'm a huge fan of editing. I'm really involved in the editing process. Actually, rainfall. I've edited the whole movie myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't in, in occupation, but it's always great to discover the film in editing. I think there's a famous quote: "Your film sort of gives birth in your mind. He dies on the paper, gets reborn on in the stage with actors. Dies on you know when you film it all, 
and then you cut up all the little pieces together and suddenly there it is again. Um, and yeah. I really think you can structure, a, a good edit can help restructure the film. So a lot of it was finding the film in the edit, you know, after you go out and film night after night after night of different little moments and there was camp, there's heaps, heaps of cut scenes, campfire scenes, talking about the aliens and why they're here and all that kind of stuff we were discussing before. But at the end you go, do you really need this? So you end up losing, yeah. losing that and just focusing on like the main beats of what the story I was trying to tell could have made a whole different story with no action at all. It could have been a whole drama of just talkies or it could have been a whole yeah. thing of just action. But I tried to find a good balance between the two. Yeah, and it's definitely there. And I look, as someone that's only made a couple of short films, I know exactly that feeling that you get in the edit suite and you can tighten something one day and then you come back the next day and you, that question is exactly there. You, you go, is it needed? You know, or that length of it, is it, should it, can it just be shortened, you know? So and I, that's only on a short film format, but it's, I, I know that feeling, yeah. It's always, it's always um, scary and sad when you have to cut something because you go, oh... <laughs> Do you think we need it? I always come back in six months later. Do you think we needed that scene we cut six months ago? And I was like, oh, we're back to this again. Start <laughs> how, how long was the editing process anyway for Occupation? What did you have? We finished shooting in July 2017. Well, that was pickups, but we started editing before yeah. that. Um, and then we sort of delivered it around November. So it was quite okay. quick for a massive, for a big feature film. Yeah. But in saying that, the caveat is I took it to the American film market in November and screened it, and it was the first time that I actually watched it with an audience because it was so rush, rush, rush. And even yeah. I felt, even I felt it was probably too long. And at the end, the note was from everyone, "It's too long." And so I quickly had to, had to come back and like re-edit it, unlock the cut, put some more, put some more effects in, added some more helicopter shots, and sort of tightened it to cut fifteen minutes out of it afterwards. And that really helped. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I was like did a director tantrum and stood my ground. I was like, no, it's going to be two hours 15. That's it. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, we can probably cut 15 minutes out of this film. <laughs> so then it became the film that it is now. So again, cutting conversations. It's all days of conversations yeah. that go first. And can I just, because you said you were in LA pitching and then they sort of said, what else have you got? And you kind of threw an occupation as an idea up. So were they, were they then private investors in, is that how Occupation got off the ground to be, were they just private? I, I mean, you don't have to go into specific details, but you know. Private, just, it, yeah. it, was all, it was all private investors for Occupation, yeah. but those those guys didn't come on board, for funnily enough. Right, just, okay. Just came up with the idea there, but at the end of the day, I moved on with someone else. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. But um, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was all privately financed, uh, which is hard in on itself to have yes, to do definitely. that at the same time. And so with, with that, are they connections you have either in Queensland or Australia or, is it, or through your producer, Clive Palmer? Is he involved in it? Clive Palmer. No, look, obviously, the first point of call, people always say Clive Palmer or the mining magnates, <laughs> Gina Reinhardt. They never yeah, I know. They're, 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 no, they're never interested, are no they? One, no one's ever got back to me down that road. So um, not yeah. saying they might not be interested, but I don't have a direct yeah. contact with those particular people. Go talk to their assistants and that. Yeah, but I think mean, Clive Palmer likes dinosaurs, doesn't he, or something? He does. I should pitch in my dinosaur yeah. movie that I have. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, yeah, a lot from a lot from family and friends, the producers. Um, they they brought a lot on board themselves, and then just other contacts, and it starts to snowball when one person yeah. does it. Then suddenly they show their friends, and they show their friends, and suddenly there's a network of of people, and yep. that's um so yeah that's how that all got all got done and you didn't approach screen australia or anything like that with it oh, like I've, I've, I've got i've got no issue with screen australia obviously yeah. they have the tax rebate the um 40 percent 
uh, tax rebate yep. for filming in Australia, which is a massive a, a massive um, help uh, for Australian Australian films. It means that investors know they're going to get at least that much, you know, a certain portion back guaranteed, no matter no matter yep. what. Uh, so that's always a good thing. So we we we, we use that. And um, yep. but no, I didn't approach him for any other funding. At the time, it might be different now. At the time, I just didn't think it would be their cup of tea, sci-fi films. Maybe it's different yep. now. And I have seen a lot more people sort of say they're looking for more action films and more sci-fi films and that, and that, that, that that's a good thing. But um, at the time, yeah. I just – and I think just now because of the pandemic, they've opened up funding where you can go apply any time of the year, just just this week. Um, but back then, it was like rounds, and you got to do like certain yeah. rounds of the year, yeah. and it just doesn't fit our structure of how we film things. We just like to just just do it. Done. Yeah. Here in WA is one of the measures for recovery. The state government has asked for um, people to create a studio. Uh, it sounds stage like a full like they they want to be able to run I saw that. you know, Hollywood scaled movies. Yeah. Here but in WA. We got to hear uh, you know, Grant Spatore with I Am Mother and he so he, he was based in Perth, um and but he he wanted to make that in Perth and he had them he had the funding to go ahead, but there's no sound stage in Perth. Yeah, right. So it ended up getting shot in Adelaide, um, and so that disappointed him a lot, being a Perth guy. Mm. Um, so yeah, so yeah, but suddenly the the WA government now has said as part of their recovery plan, you know, like to try to spend money that they're interested in investing in that. So yeah, hopefully, it, hopefully it finally gets uh, hap- uh, happens. Yeah, I've, I've looked at shooting in Perth. Actually, someone commented on Rain- uh, Occupation One. We should shot in Perth, but it just too not economical for us to fly everyone all the way over there but yeah definitely some great locations um over there yeah. that i'd love to come and film so i i, I hope they do yeah I, i've never used studios for my films like like warner brothers is like five minutes from our office but um it's just usually booked out with bigger films or yeah or it just is outside our budget and um yeah yeah it's just the way things are so we ended up just getting hiring warehouses and creating our own studio so you're saying you're getting some actors on board. And we noticed that you've worked with Dan Ewing before in Red Billabong. Was that an ongoing relationship that you got him on this film? Uh, where did you pick up your other actors from? Obviously, when you start working with people, it becomes like a band. You, know, you get the band sort of humour, the band jokes. People know the same you know, people. And, um, and, that, and that's something that I'm trying to continue on with, whether it's you know, production designers or lighting or whoever. It's good to have the same continuity of people that you, that you like working with. Um, so Dan and I got along really well on, on Red Billabon. Um, I actually told him that he couldn't be a part of Occupation originally because I wanted to do something new. And we chopped it around to a bunch of different Australian actors. And unfortunately, a lot of them passed uh, on, on the film. And then it came down to, I forget what was happening. He was going for the, then he, then he, then he was going for the role of Jackson, the younger footballer. And we're going to get yeah. someone older to play Matt to keep that older, younger guy going. And, uh, and then it just sort of, yeah, the last month, it all kind of went topsy-turvy and suddenly producers like, just get Dan, just put Dan in the thing. So <laughs> he sort of ended up, ended up in there and, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how it sort of and it came back around. Like, Here we go. We're back, back together on set. Um, so yeah, but the other, the other cast members, like, again, it's like starts to snowball, um, especially when people like Tent, um, tomorrow comes on, uh, that makes a lot of other actors, actors attract actors. So, yeah. Um, once he's on, other people put their hand up, and then Bruce Spence came on board, which is cool because obviously he's like an icon of Australian Australian films as the alien leader. 
And, uh, you know, yeah, just and Jacqueline McKenzie, I think, was the last one. I think my first AD, who's a Perth-based friend of mine, he flew over to be the first AD on this one. I think he had, like, her on speed dial from a film he just done. He's like, I'm going to ask Jack McKenzie for you and text her. And <laughs> the, the TEDx size is all just, like, conversations and, and just sort of luck sometimes. Right place, right mm. time. And then, and then the other cast was all sort of through auditions and for Jackson and um, Rhiannon Fish from The 100. Um, I think I just cast her because she's a really good actress um, and I thought she had the chops to pull off, you know, the character that she had. I feel bad. I feel like I killed off all my good cast. <laughs> and Felix Williamson, I um, had worked with him on Red Billabong as well. I know him from the Domain.com web series that he did. <laughs> yes. With the, uh, what was that called? I can't remember. But he always had the black and white stripe shirt on. and Yeah, yeah. He wrote, directed all that stuff as well, pitched it to Domain. Oh, did, did, did like the whole The whole thing was all his brainchild. Yeah. yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. So you made this wonderful film, which in very speedy time. Uh, did you have any films or filmmakers' style that you were trying to emulate? Growing up in the 80s and the and 90s, uh, obviously, you know, it's a cliche now, but Spielberg, George Lucas, James Cameron, and Michael Bay are really sort of like the filmmakers I sort of hover around and I'm always drawn to their style of movies. Um, People like Michael Bay, some people love him, some people hate him, but, you know, the guy knows how to make action movies. And uh, yeah. so within that style, I was trying to keep in the realms of those sort of genre of directors and, and, and that, um, I guess, all those filmmakers, you know, whether it's Close Encounters or uh, Star Wars or, you know, Aliens, you know, it's all sort of in that, in that ballpark of, of reference, you know, have the, have the mood boards and have it all there in pre-production of all those movies I like to keep the crew sort of on the track of what I'm trying to do, not going too far one way or the other. At least yeah. that's a good jumping off point to then move on to your own thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there sort of a legacy that you would like to leave long-term then? Like you, you said before, finding your voice, that's a common thing for filmmakers. Like do you, what would your voice be, you think, is where you're leaning into now? Well, I think... I mean, I'm glad. I, I hope I'm still young. Got legacy can be a long time. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think my legacy. I, I really want to try to continue making large scale films in Australia and really trying to um, go down that road of like being the guy that's like, wow, Luke Spark does these massive films and they're Australian and they're in a, mm. you know, filmed in Australia and not trying to be American like they're just Australian yeah. but big like Hollywood films, not compete with them. Everyone always tries to say to me, you can't compete with Hollywood films. I say, well, I'm not trying to, but, you know, there is a certain taste and certain um, audience that like that sort of stuff. So I'm just trying to tap into that market that some movies that I would like to go see. And you mentioned yeah. before growing up like an escape, escapism, you know, boyhood fantasy of being in a rebellion. I mean, that's, again, exactly what I was trying to do. Like, but growing up, all, all, all my heroes are American. So I'm trying to sort of leave a legacy of maybe Australian characters that some kid might grow up, go to Comic Con and go, I'm dressed as blah blah from a Luke Spark film, and I'll be like, great, that's a good legacy to have because at least then an Australian looking at an Australian, you know, I think I think Mad Max is like the only one we can probably go to a sci-fi convention as at the moment. I mean, mm. there's some there's some obviously good Australian films. Not saying there's other ones you can't go at, but well known enough that people will go, yeah, that that that's Mad Max, you know, yeah, um, unfortunately. Yeah. I think that's where my legacy would like to be. Cosplay. <laughs> no, I guess more <laughs> more more big, more bigger Australian films is is, yeah, is, yeah. is what but I'd like is, to do. If you went on to the Reddit, the, the cosplay subreddit, and there was some people as you said, dressed as, as the Australian sci fi heroes and 
and you know, mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, it is mission accomplished. But you know, outside the realms of sci-fi, I've still got some other bigger shows, um, like a World War One film and that. But it's all still kind of based on the same idea of how I do this film. It's like I kind of like my ensemble cast. I like those old, sort of, even going back further in the eighties into the seventies and sixties of the big disaster flicks, which I guess Roland Emmerich emulated as well. Where like there's this big cast of characters. Um, I kind of like those. So even in my World War One film, it's like a sprawling like platoon, kind of like the movie Platoon. But each one has their own voice, and each one has a lot of characters. Not really based on just like one or two guys. I just don't think I could write that. I just think my scripts always end up being like bigger than what those are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be a style anyway. Then, if if that's what you continue to do in your future projects, definitely that that becomes a style, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so what's, what was the process? Were you part of it getting onto Netflix? Were you excited to hear when it got sold onto Netflix? What, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, look, at the moment, you don't really think about it. It's just a thing now. People go, it's on Netflix. Yeah. And you go, yeah, yeah. But I guess at the time, yeah, it was like a cool thing to have your film on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Like it started off in Netflix USA before it came yeah. to Australia, which in that alone, I mean, as a filmmaker, it's pretty, pretty freaking cool. Um, yeah. I wasn't involved in the negotiations. I mean, you know, you, you take it to a market and you sell the film and it was just lucky enough that the Americans who bought the film, actually saw Saban, who owned Power Rangers. That's how I knew them growing up as a kid, you know, Saban's Power Rangers. Um, and, they, and, they, and they sold Power Rangers to Hasbro. And then so then they went on this massive spending spree where they're like just buying up like heaps of cool action films. Um, yeah. And I was like one of the first Australian films that they bought. Um, mm. So that was cool in itself. I, I, I met yeah. with the guys, and they actually took one of the. I had a. Um, I took to LA one of the alien suits, and dressed yep. it, dressed it on the mannequin in the in the AFM at the American Film yep. Markets. So when people buyers were coming in, there's this freaking alien standing there, and they mm. said as part of the deal they wanted they wanted to keep the alien suit and put it in their lobby. And I'm like, <laughs> sure, man. You you want to you want to buy my film and take my suit? Be my guest. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, and then they, yeah, they wrote to us and they're like, yeah, Netflix, you know, we've sold it to Netflix as well because they, they liked it. And it, like, they debuted at number one that week. It came mm-hmm. on Netflix America. My, my manager sent me this screenshot and he's like, look at what's number one. And it's like like a holy shit moment to be like, that, that's pretty cool, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and through that, through that, obviously, it was able to get a lot more fans, a lot more people that can yeah. watch it, you know, open up the audience, which is yeah. Always a dream come true for a filmmaker to have your film viewed that many times. Not always good. Sometimes I get drunk and go through IMDb and look at all the comments. <laughs> that's not that. That's never that never ends well. You know, no. IMDb or Twitter is like the devil for filmmakers. You know, one star. <laughs> this film is the worst movie I've seen. It's like walk out of the room all depressed. Oh my god, what have I done? Next day I'm back yeah. at work. And people are like, look at the trailer for the next film. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel better. That- yeah, definitely. I've got to say, one of the goals we have in Space Brains is this idea of joy watching films. We tend to pick films and try not to read any of the press, no critics, don't even watch the trailers. So you're going in cold, just expecting science fiction and looking to to find out what's really cool about it. Because invariably, I've gone and we watched this movie, Tau, which is about a smart house. And so I went and watched that cold and uh, I don't know if you've seen it but it's a really fantastic film and then I went on and read the reviews that people were leaving and it's like they watched a different film to me because I watched this film about this AI house that becomes 
self-aware and gains humanity and tries to help people and they're going oh this movie was crap the house didn't kill anyone with a toaster yeah. like that's not the point of the film so if you'd gone in and read all the reviews or, or these weird off-center you know offshoots of, of ideas yeah you kind of almost have the film told for you yeah and then when you watch it you sort of filtering it through what other people have said and yeah. you miss out on the, on the real pleasure of watching the film, yeah. I think. It's been interesting to see, like, my group of friends over the last 10 years, like, with the rise of, you know, phones and and um, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, you know, go out to the movies and always always be the people on their phones, like, wait, what, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking up reviews of this movie to make sure it's good. I'm like, don't read the reviews, just go see it for yourself. But now, you know, now they're kind of getting over that and now they're back to almost watching it cold, which is good. Everyone's yeah. kind of getting over yeah. that. It's like... Yeah, people have their opinions and just and just move on, which I like. So that's why I, I really enjoy your guys' channel um, because it's just refreshing <laughs> to to have that, yeah. that, that that joy watching. Yeah, thank you. We, we do try to do that. And so we quite often pick on favourite scene. Do you have a favourite scene from your film, Occupation? I'm going to say action-wise, I enjoy the helicopters coming in at the end. It, yep. it gets me going. Also because yep. I'm also the helicopter pilot as, 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 my, right. as, as my cameo. But, you know... I think I like that scene where uh, Tem, spoilers for people who haven't watched it, <laughs> um, uh, where Tem kills the alien with a blunt object and that whole yeah. montage and that whole conversation afterwards about you know why they're here and all that kind of stuff has changed. I think it's probably my favourite mm-hmm. scene in the movie yeah, because, awesome. because it probably has that bit more of that gravitas of like something bigger than what's going on. So you're the, you're, you've done your little cameo there as the pilot. Have you done, are you in the other ones? Are you doing a bit of a Hitchcock? Are you sort of walking on screen in any any moments in Red Billabong or the Rainfall? Red Billabong, I'm in like the, the post-credit, there's a post-credit scene. Um, yeah. And I'm one of the guys in, in that post-credit scene. Yeah. But not in Rainfall. Too busy oh. and too serious. But I do, I do get to voice an alien in ADR, so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you have a scene that you didn't like how it turned out? Maybe something that didn't quite land uh, the imagery or the uh, artistically the way you thought it would. Maybe somewhere in the factory, and it's more—it's hard for me because I, you know, was there and I was doing the whole thing. For me, some of the fa- yeah. some of the stuff that are going at the factory at the end wasn't how I wanted it because of what happened on the day on the set. Like yeah. my production designer fell ill, and then next thing you know, I rock up at the the factory. It's supposed to be just like turned into like a half spaceship thing. And uh, they had just these weird cabinetry that they'd made up. It looks like you go into Barton Robbins ice cream scoop things that they were trying to call <laughs> consoles. And I just stood there and it was just like plastic sheets. Of it. And I just had to like rip everything out and like just go minimalistic. And it wasn't really what I wanted. Like it was like half being terraformed into like doorways and weird sort of stuff from Alien. So every time I watch those scenes, I kind of cringe because I know what mm. I kind of wanted in my head. I guess it's more, yeah, for me, it's more that, just stuff on the stuff that reminds me. I watch it, I'm like, oh, my God, that day was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> rather, than, rather than what's happening on the screen itself. Yeah. Well, that's actually some of the good insight that I do enjoy when I, when I hear, you know, writers or directors talking about their films is that uh, for us, we had no clue either way. I just sort of saw this abandoned factory. Uh, I, although I did sort of comment, oh, there's the plastic sheeting that every abandoned factory, it's it's not just yours, it's... Uh, every, every movie anywhere I've seen, it's like, it's like whenever it goes nighttime, you have to hear the hoot of an owl. <laughs> and whenever you see an, an eagle fly through the sky, you've got to hear that particular screech, yeah. even though I found out that's not from an eagle at all. Yeah, um, right. 
it's a it's a different bird you know but uh, yeah there, there are certain things that are expected so i actually thought it looked like a sort of a trashed abandoned factory that had started having things moved into it yeah like yeah it turned out okay like i know from people like yourself and other people i've watched it, it turned out fine like yeah but for me it's just those little things that stick into my craw yeah. you know it's like oh, it's really annoying yeah you know? like there's lots of things every day like a director has to take so many concessions well at least i do i don't know if anyone else does maybe everyone else is like complete nazis and they get their way no matter what but every day it feels <laughs> like i'm like and today's gonna be these like massive you know, there's going to be four fireballs. Oh, look, we've only got one fireball. Okay. Maybe there's going to be 20 cars. Oh, I've only got one car. Okay. You know, it's just like, I don't know if other people have tantrums about it or what, but I just have to go, okay. You know, um, yeah. So it's just it's just so many concessions. It's like, it's what they say about your, your film dying in all these different stages because it's always like grand plans, then you end up with this and then try to make it. So, yeah, I guess for me it's just those those days that stick out. Well, we were talking to that Q80 director and he said he had to use CGI um, explosion on these trucks, which is really disappointed with because he, he waited three days. He had the pyrotechnics and the explosives guy all there ready. First day, the weather was no good. It was going to blow the ash and smoke over the city so it couldn't go ahead. The next day, the wind blew the other way, but it, it was blowing it onto the other part of the city. And it's just the third day finally finished and couldn't get these explosion to happen because of safety concerns or, or what have you. So we finally ended up having to go, okay, fine, we'll just put CG on it. Mm. And there was another one where we had a 10-shot sequence to work through, but because of earlier problems they had with some of the cast, they had an hour and a half to do it in. So they turned this, this complex sequence into a single shot, which they took on the yeah, third just a one. Yeah, shot, you know. The last five minutes of light as the sun's going down, they managed to get the shot, and yeah. then the actors had to fly out that night, yeah. and they would never see them again. So, so you... It's, it does sound like other people have these same issues. It's... Hey, people always say on set, they say it's like Casablanca before lunch and like home and way after lunch. Because <laughs> you get there in the morning, you're like, oh, i got all day. It's going to be great. Big, wide thing, takes all around. You get to after lunch, you're like, oh, mate, we got like five things to do before dinner. Everyone's like, okay, steady cam out the way. Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. I mean, like films, films like this scale in Hollywood would have like four-month, three-month shoot, you know. I shot this in like five weeks. So it's like mental, you know, it's like every day yeah. you could look at the call sheet and it's like two pages worth of scenes you got to get that day and you sort of scratch your head going, how the hell am I going to do this? Oh, I really love to get, you know, a crane shot or a drone shot or this. And they're like, no, you get one set up, pick your set up, that's it, that's what you got. So you make a decision yeah. then you get at the end of the day, the producers watch it and they go, oh, that's the one you went with. And you're like, <laughs> I hope it's right, you know. <laughs> And so what, what was your intention? What did you want the audience to get out of occupation? I think you guys got what I wanted to get out of it. You guys explained it pretty okay. well at the beginning. Like I wanted, you know, just to create a fun, you know, a, a fun sort of romp through a situation that these, these characters encounter and you sort of go with them on, on the journey. At the same time, I wanted to, you know, make a stamp of an Australian action film, you know, do something different with an alien invasion or do what at least I wanted to do because, like you pointed out, Independence Day, it takes a long time for things to happen and I wanted to get to it quickly, have a ground invasion, which you don't see that that often, and have that little cool you know, thing at the end about the shaking hands and the aliens being a bit more like us rather than just these monster invaders that are supreme beings and can defeat us really easily and that. So, yeah, I think that's what I wanted to, wanted to get out of it. So Occupation Rainfall, we've noticed that it's premiere in in october 30th in perth so how, how did this one come about like how did this get the green light where 
Um, how'd you go with funding? How did this get started? Was it from the success of the first one or? Pretty much it was a success. And I know I wanted to talk about Rainfall, but I guess it's hard because no one's seen anything of it yet. But for me, yeah, yeah. for me, I've been living it for like two and a half years. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was from the success. I actually announced it, this one, before the first one actually came out because once we came back from AFM and uh, cut 15 minutes out of occupation, um, we delivered it to the distributors and um, it sat around for like six months until we could get like cinemas to find a spot to show it in July. So that was like a long wait for a film. Luckily we had Monster Fest come on back then as well and they put it as part of their programming in Melbourne and the Gold Coast and Brisbane. But yeah, it was like it was a weird six months wait and it was kind of odd because you're spending so much time before it and lead up, like editing every day and getting the AFM and then having six months off and then going back to watch it in a cinema with crew with people. Mm. Even then I was like, oh man, I could have cut that and I could have done this and I could have done that because you get more time to think about it or have at least have yeah. fresh fresh eyes. And I think that's a big thing. You gotta have like fresh eyes. Like in Rainfall, I've made sure I've gone away for like a month to just let sit and just go do anything else. Even if it's still rainfall, even still doing emails or talking and meetings and visual effects, whatever, but not go and watch the film for like a month and then go back with fresh eyes and go, Oh, Jesus, what was what was I thinking? You know, rather than just being like this rush, 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 rush. Oh, it could have been better. So it was a weird six months, but within that six months, we announced that it was going to have a sequel. I think a strategy there was to show people that there was going to be a longevity of this series, not just like a one and a one and done. So you can actually, again, come along with these characters. And again, my whole idea about creating interesting characters. Um, and then obviously that announcement helped us get more, bring together more finance from more, more private investors. And people who were involved in the first movie jumped back on, which is always nice. Came out in July and we literally started pre-production like the week after Occupation released. We were in pre-production on Rainfall. So it was like this whirlwind like red carpet and then straight into the next movie, which has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it's just mental. It's just it's just a mental movie, this, this, this next one. It's like Occupation, I went in, as I said before, going, oh, let's make a small film, and it became bigger. This time I wrote a script that was massive. I just went straight for the jugular and was like, I'm just going to write what I want and we'll see what happens. And for better or worse, the crew around me went, we'll make your dream come true. And I think, I don't know if they regret saying that now because it's been <laughs> like super hard. And um, yeah, so that, that that's how this one came about. And I, I wrote it throughout that six months. I, I wrote this one. Actually, the ideas started coming to me while I was editing occupation um i always thought it'd be a one and done i was going to move on to like a cool sort of movie kind of like distraction which has come out now with chris hemsworth kind of like that i had an idea script kind of like that back then but throughout the editing process watching those scenes of the aliens with their children and watching the handshake i was like you know what there's something here that i could something here that could go on more than just what this is and so those ideas became the next movie um, and the first drafts were very heavily, like pretty much like straight on from occupation, like the same characters, the same beats, the same like straight on. Now it's sort of become a bit more, not detached, but it's definitely, you don't need to watch the first movie to see this movie. But if you do, you're richer for it. And if you don't, no, no loss is how I've tried to structure this, this, this new one. Um, because we've had casts come and go, some casts aren't available, some casts are of the movies. Suddenly you get a new, new cast, new characters. And I think 
it's you know just gonna steer into this kid and another good favorite quote of mine is from tony scott where he said you have to be like a good antique dealer and just throw away your most valuable asset for a better one so you know i'm not i'm not i always said to my guys i'm not tied to any anything i've sort of put down what i am tied to but it's anything else if you come up with a better idea be my guest so people are like how about we change the look of the aliens how about we change the blasters let's do a new version of the ships i'm like yep 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 whatever makes whatever works you know i'm not like has to be the same has to be the same because you got to keep going forward, got to keep pushing forward. So, yeah, you'll find a lot of differences with a lot of stuff in this movie. So it sort of sounds like you're doing a little bit of a alien with, and then aliens, how it sort of like really jumped up and changed the format of the movie a fair bit, gave us bigger explosions, bigger effects, a bit of a take on the story. Or I also think about like Terminator and then Terminator T2, you know, like, both are, both are great movies, but they kind of twisted them, didn't they, a little yeah. bit? Um, and gave the audience an even bigger jab of kind of voltage in the storyline. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what it sounds like you've sort of done here. Is that is that what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah. I definitely would have it more to Alien and Aliens. Yeah, yeah. T1, T2, both awesome movies. But T2 is almost like the same movie, just a better version. Or just yeah. Cameron, Cameron had more money to make the version he wanted, you know? So he's like, yeah. it was great twist making Arnie the good guy. Yeah. But I think beat for beat, it's kind of like the same thing. But Alien Aliens is definitely two different movies. Like just, yeah, mm. two different styles. So yes, I would yeah, definitely yeah. akin this more to Alien and Aliens where it's mm. bigger, crazy, um, yeah, more characters and, and everything else. I've seen the YouTube uh, <laughs> and that they looked they looked great. The uh, the action sequences there, the, the little like unfoldy sword magic thing and <laughs> bits and pieces yeah that it's sort of it it definitely gives that impression of stepping up everything like like there's there's more the aliens are bringing more to the scene the humans are, are more committed uh, the whole thing sort of seems yeah like this this ramp up of everything i'm i'm very keen to find out you know where the storyline takes us mm. having having seen how the first one starts off as as a as rebellion war type of thing ending off with sort of a bit of an alliance with one faction yeah. so it'll it'll be good if you like the whole bit with the aliens you're gonna like rainfall because that's basically the genesis of like this whole movie okay is like okay i was watching all the comments come in people going oh that's stupid why would they join up with the aliens oh that's you know i like the aliens i'm like you know what that's a real good debate topic mm. so let's make that like the whole debate of this whole movie yeah right you know, so that's kind of what I've done there. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. I like, I, yeah. We mentioned MonsterFest. You managed to get a simultaneous release this time around. So this, it's in all of the cities. Uh, we get it here in Perth this time, which is nice. Yeah, which is good. And this hasn't been done before. So how, how did you generate this relationship or how did this come about? The Occupation went really well for the MonsterFest release. Like we had sellout audiences in, in all the places we went and brought it to. And the head of, head of Monster Fest also owns Monster Distribution, and they approached us just after we announced it, or just before we announced the second one, and they they wanted to pitch themselves as the distributor of this film, and I think it's a perfect fit because they're genre fans and they know the audience and and they have the Monster Fest and everything else. Um, so we decided to join up with them. Uh, so they're distributing the whole movie uh, nationwide. And they pitched, you know, doing a simultaneous release for an advanced world premiere screening. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a great, great idea. And then the pandemic happened and uh, they've had to, obviously Melbourne got cancelled, unfortunately. So it won't be shown in Melbourne. But um, the rest of the country is going to get it pending 
you know, anything else that happens. Uh, I think it's, I I think it's gonna be great. It's like, yeah, people who get to see that, yeah, they get get to see it first there at Monster Fest and then the nationwide release will happen after that at some point. We don't know yet because of the whole COVID situation. Films are getting pushed back every day, Black Widow and, you know, all these things are going to streaming. I'm keeping my film squarely wanting to go to cinema. I know some people at this point in time say, oh, you know, it's dangerous going to cinemas and that. I've been to movies recently and they've got their covid safe plan and i i, I feel pretty safe in there yeah, um, yeah. i'm mixing this film in dolby atmos we've got an orchestra from london that did the score for it it's, it's all like you know the last time occupation was um recorded digitally the score of the, of the movie and that which was always something disappointing to me because i'm a massive um soundtrack fan i drive around my car every day listening to empire strikes back or Starship Troopers um, on, on, on the soundtracks and that. So it was great to have uh, a composer that did the, the orchestra in London in actually like Hans Zimmer's room that he uses over there in one of the studios. Wow. And that, again, because of COVID, I wasn't able to go over there, but I was live streaming it on Zoom. And it was obviously a joy to watch, hear my film's music played by 36-piece orchestra, all wearing masks, all doing social distancing, but, <laughs> but still hearing hearing it is uh is great i actually can't wait to get the soundtrack myself because it's a pretty awesome soundtrack um so i'm still aiming squarely for a cinema release and i'm hoping that you know not to take anyone's joy away from movies getting pushed back but i'm hoping that some of the movies american movies get pushed back might leave a bit of room for us to get released in in australian cinemas and hopefully cinemas will welcome a large action film and like this on that with COVID, has there been a delay in the release or has this always been the plan, like October 2020? Looking at July originally, but even without COVID, that was pretty ambitious because we only finished shooting. We had to shoot it in block shooting this time because it was so big. Taking on board one, taking on board the whole film alone would just be um, massive for a budget that we could get together. So we um, did like three weeks in 2018. And then that was with Ken John, and then we had like almost like a, pretty much a year break, just finding more money, um, and that which was hard itself to have a film broken up like that. And we came back and did like yep. another few weeks last year, and then now it's yep. almost been another year <laughs> just of post production <laughs> of doing all the visual effects and um, sound and everything else. Uh, so you know it's been ambitious in itself. So I think now is the right time, even without COVID. But one thing that has helped us with it was again not to. If people have been affected negatively, that's obviously I'm not trying to stamp on their parade. But um, for us, a lot of films went into shutdown. Luckily, we filmed our stuff, luckily, thank God. So there was an abundance of post-production crew that had been sort of stood down um, and people who worked on working on like Marvel's Shang-Chi in Sydney or um, Elvis and the Elvis movie or Thor Love and Thunder or all these films are in pre-production and got stood down. So then they sort of jumped over to us to say hey can i jump on board suddenly we got guys from ilm and guys from weather and guys from all these like you know great effects companies who are suddenly coming on board um and then so our level of visual effects have jumped up dramatically so it was a bit of a win for us um and also with sound and um and the composer being available for us as well so uh yeah bit of a win bit of a win gonna take him has that allowed it easier to get into cinemas because uh, as you said uh, like james bond got bumped right back and Disney is bumping back a lot of its films which means you're going to have cinemas sitting there going 
we don't have any films to show. And I know that the local cinemas here have been showing, you know, some classics where their cinemas lining up sort of saying, oh, a, a new science fiction, you know, action film. Yeah. Has that been that yeah. way? or They have. They've sort of said to our distributors, if we were ready right now or a month ago, they would take us, like, we'd get every cinema in the country, you know, with a snap of our fingers. Unfortunately, we're not ready right now. We're still going. So I don't know how, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen October, November, December. Yeah. Like, I know Top Gun got pushed. Looks like Black Widow is going to get pushed. Um, Wonder Woman got pushed back. So, I don't know. I think, you know, it's hard to say. I would I would hope that there might be some space and they might give us a chance to say, let's give, you know, I'd, I'd love as many springs as I can get, obviously, because yeah. um, it's a numbers game. You know, it's great, great when Australian films, you know, and I say great sarcastically, when Australian films come out and then people straight away cite how much money they didn't make. And it's like, well, it's a numbers game. If you give screens, if you give more screens, you might get surprised. Like Occupation came out in like 13 screens. And it's like ridiculous. It's like, how are you going to make any money? Um, I think our screen averages was really good compared to other films. I think we were up there with most Hollywood films screen average wise. Like I attended, I drove around and watched lots of different viewings and there was already always a pretty good audience. But, um, you know, we had stories in the paper saying that audiences are complaining on Facebook they can't see Occupation because it's only on once a day or it's only on you know yeah. some random cinema yeah. up north brisbane and everyone on the gold coast is like well pff, i'm not gonna drive all that far for a movie and neither would i if i saw a cool movie yeah. i'd be like oh well I'll, I'll just wait but you know it just affects everything so i hope i hope that this might be a chance to sort of stretch our legs and cast a wider net yeah you know you notice that like the marvel movies or whatever they'll have you know 10 screenings a day and then another movie whether it's australian or even just you know a small of american movie or whatever and it's it's got one screening so as an audience member sometimes that's it's not plausible you know to get to that one screening or whatever and support it marvel you know without those films cinemas you know, need that money so i'm all for that i mean i go watch marvel films as well it's like it's like the next person but um yeah i'm hoping that i'm hoping that this might be an opportunity to uh you know stretch our legs yeah, and change the script for Australian films, you know, that epic idea that you're going for, definitely. I suppose probably just sort of finishing up a little bit, as a filmmaker, scriptwriter, producer, have you got any advice that you'd like to give to, uh, you know, younger filmmakers out there? I know it's a pretty standard question, but, you know, what, what would be your sort of parting advice to someone that is younger or a Luke Spark 15 years ago, what would be, what would you like to say to him? Don't do it. No. Get a real job. Yeah, no, look, it's a hard road. It's rewarding. Everyone has their own journey. So what happens to someone might not happen to the next person. I've had some pretty hard stuff to come up against throughout my journey. But then I've also, you know, you have some great, great times as well. I guess the biggest thing is that if you want to commit to it, like commit to it, it can't really be like, you can't, can't really fuck around with it. Really get a crew that back you. Surround yourself with positive people because poison apples can spoil the whole the whole bunch. And I've come up against that a couple of times. And I think that's a that's a hard lesson to learn, especially when there's multiple poison apples. So you have a meeting and it looks sounds all good, sounds like a nice person. And, you know, second day on the film set, suddenly it's like horrible. And you're just like, oh, what? What have I done? So there's no way of figuring that out, but just always keep in the back of your mind of just really making sure that you click with the person. I think that's that's my biggest advice because if you can surround yourself with people that really want to do what you want to do and, and, and watch your vision, that's a huge step forward because if you have people that are just always telling you no or... I mean, it's good to get told no, and that, that's another thing. Good to get told no. Good to get told by people that... And sometimes that comes up with a better idea, like Back to the Future. 
great story, you know, a good story is from making of that film. There's going to be this whole weird subplot where they go out to a nuclear bomb site and yeah. the nuclear bomb yeah. powers the DeLorean. And it's like, you read it now and you think this is whack. Obviously, it probably would have worked. But, you know, not having that budget, they had to rethink the whole town situation and keep it all in, in, in the in the town, which obviously now really works as a classic. But, yeah, surround yourself with people that, yeah, that, that, that can back you, they can tell you no, but ultimately all want the same goal. That's my biggest advice after everything I've been through. Is there anything that you'd like to add to what we've talked about? Anything that you'd like to talk about with rainfall or is there any, you know, anything you'd like to get off your chest? This is your opportunity. I feel like I've talked about everything I could with rainfall without anyone seeing it. It's, I, mean, yeah. I could go through the yeah. whole thing and be like, and there's this really cool part where this happens, but everyone will be like, <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. Look, I mean, I, I guess for me, it's, yeah, for two, two and a half years of my life with rainfall, so I could talk about it till the cows come home, but maybe we'll save it for another chat. Yeah, definitely. Wait, wait till uh, no, November the 1st. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get everyone a chance to head to the cinema. Yeah, and watch it. you might have to take a few days to watch it again because it's just like I was watching Real Real 2 today it's kind of films are cut up into six reels I was watching Real 2 and there's this like massive action sequence and a kind of a rain up the sound guy at the end and he's like can you watch it again I'm like no I don't because it's blowing my mind um so yeah it's 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 very interesting I think people are gonna have to have multiple viewings just to see just to watch it again just to, to know what's going on because it's just mental but you know maybe not who knows I think I guess my parting my parting comments would just be just how much how much I like sci-fi and just how much uh, and films in, in general and just the films I've grown up with like Terminator I mean all the films you're referencing you know obviously a huge part of my life Total Recall Paul Paul Van Hoven yeah I just really enjoy it and I enjoy listening to podcasts like people like you so I guess it all comes together in moments like this it's great fantastic thanks. Well, thank you very much for being part of Space Bones. That's been awesome. Thank you. Anytime. And that was our interview. Next episode is a classic. We are watching what could have been the, I suppose, the groundbreaking anime that broke into the West, Akira. And as always, if you have any questions or comments you want to correct us or just get in touch with us, you can catch us on social media at Space Brains Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, Gravity Undone Twitter, uh, or you can get onto our emails, which would be podcast at gravityundone.net. See ya.